Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. continue to be lifting up in prayer and with deep concern all of our neighbors on the west coast california oregon washington states where a number of fires continue to rage Um, some fires have swept through entire communities Um, many many people uh, many many thousands of people um, are are, are going to have lost everything and um Many have now lost their lives and family members. And so it's, um, it's going to be a story that concerns us and consumes us for a period of time. But today, let us, be, let us be praying the news on that front. Let us be praying for precipitation. Let us be praying for fire jumpers. Let us be praying for um, resources to hold up. Let's be praying for the people who are engaged on the front line of battling the fire. Um, A couple of strange headlines to share with you for your consideration over the weekend, maybe. Um, Los Angeles uh, banned Halloween. They they were going to ban everything related to Halloween so that people wouldn't have Halloween parties. There wouldn't be trick-or-treating. Nobody would do trunk-or-treats. Like, there would be no no engagement uh, around or related to Halloween. And, you know, as a COVID restriction... Well, there was a public outcry, like a more significant public outcry than there has been in California about not allowing people to go to church. So I just want you to juxtapose those two things for here just a moment. Los Angeles has already rescinded the ban on Halloween because of the public outcry, people demanding to be able to trick or treat. And I guess I just wanted to lift that up because I just want us to take note of the things that we'll fight for or the things that we'll fight against. It is it is telling that people are more willing to fight for their right to trick or treat than they are to fight for the right of people to go to church. And so I sort of tee up the questions again for what would you take to the streets, for what would you boycott a product or service or a company or Netflix? Um, for what would you fast and pray? For what would you give financially? For what would you speak out politically? I mean, what would your what would your city or your county or your state or our nation have to do that you would say, oh, no, 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 no. That is a restriction too far. You cannot ban or you cannot prevent me from. What what encroachment on your perceived freedom would get you off the couch and into the conversation, or actually into some kind of political advocacy or engagement. I mean, is it 60 million abortions? Is it taxpayer-funded surgery for people to move from one uh, 
set of body parts to another? Is it, I don't know, what is it? What is it for you? Um, apparently, for a lot of people in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, it was uh, the right to trick-or-treat on Halloween. Okay, um, Netflix is under fire for child exploitation. Airing the film Cuties with uh, things that young girls should not be doing, let alone seen doing, let alone promoted to be seen doing. Lila Rose says over 600,000 people have signed a change petition pledging to cancel their Netflix subscriptions um, if each signee had an account and canceled it at $12.99 a month. This would be $7.8 million monthly that Netflix will have lost by uh, by their decision to air cuties. John Stone Street's family, uh, my family, we are two of them. We're going to talk to Adam Holtz next from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Welcome back, man. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, can you... Um, I gosh, I hope I hope that when I ask this question, the answer is yes, there's snow. What do you see when you look out the window? Well, there was snow. Oh, uh, there so was. it was it was 95 degrees on Monday here and uh Tuesday I think we had a low of about 20 and we got 5 inches of snow here in Colorado Springs near my house. Uh but it's Colorado. I mean, it warmed up above freezing. Oh, probably by yesterday, the snow was pretty much gone. But still, I think it's the earliest snow that I can remember experiencing since living here. So uh, my husband um, is bow hunting elk in Colorado as we speak. And he uh, so he was out there for uh, the week that it was in the 90s. And and he's still there. And I, um, of course, you know, he's off the grid and I can't even see him on my little tracker device on my phone. But... Uh, I suspect he does not have winter weather gear. Like he went, no, he went with right. like the summer gear that you take right. to go bow hunting, not the like second rifle season gear that you have to take in October. Right. Well, I, I hope so. That he might be okay. a total popsicle. I'm sure you he's know, fine. We were up in Estes Park over the weekend, and there was a forest fire really close to there, and we were watching just the plumes of smoke. And they got 14 inches of snow up there. So the high country got a lot more snow and it was colder. So probably some of that has stuck. And I hope he was able to swing by his favorite big box store and pick up some long underwear. Exactly. I just hope it's driving the elk in his direction. There you go. That's it. It's just my grocery, my grocery trip um, approach to hunting. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about um, cuties. I would maybe appreciate if we stay away from too much content for sure. our listening audience, um, but yeah. uh, but certainly it is uh, it is provoking headlines today. It is, and and rightly so. Uh, in a nutshell, this is a movie. It's a French movie, so it's subtitled about a Senegalese immigrant family and a young girl named Amy, who um, her mom is getting married. Uh, no, her her mother's husband is marrying another woman. And so her mother is not doing well. The family is not doing well. And she turns to a peer group to sort of sort things out. 
and this peer group has been highly influenced by the sexualized imagery in our entertainment media. And the film is a, is really about how these young girls imitate really, really, really graphic and explicit things at ages like 10 and 11 without having an understanding of what they're even imitating. And so they're innocent to the extent that they're just kids copying stuff. And the film, I think, is attempting to make a, a really serious point that we're living in a culture where it's so drenched in sexual imagery that young girls are growing up imitating this and it's damaging them deeply. Now, that's all fine and well and good uh, you know, as far as it goes. The problem here is that the film depicts those things really, really graphically and um, in ways that are, are deeply disturbing and probably some of the images here get close to potentially reaching the, the American legal definition of child pornography. And so on one hand, I, I think that I want to say the director was trying to do something significant and serious here. This is not just entertainment taking advantage of young girls for the sake of let's make another nasty movie. There was a real intent here, but it begs the question of when you're trying to show degradation of any kind, how much of that do you have to show to get the point across? And I think it's safe to say this is way, way, way over the line and there's no reason for anybody to watch this. And I think her serious point that she's trying to make ultimately is horribly undermined by the fact that you're going to have people watching this for all of the wrong reasons. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's maybe not quite what the controversy has depicted it to be, but I think our ending point is the same in that it's deeply problematic and especially in, in our culture right now, it's going to potentially cause significantly more damage than accomplishing the purpose of raising awareness of this issue. All right, you and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, I want to talk about Mulan. I want to talk about Disney and China and the Uyghurs, which it's like stunning that I could put all of those same things in a <laughs> sentence, but that is True what story. we're talking about, right? True story. That's up next with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. We'll be right back. Have you forgotten? All right, we're going to talk about Disney's Mulan and the backdrop of the genocide of the Uyghur people at the hands of the Chinese and, as a part of all of that, the Disney Corporation. Adam, tell us what's going on here. Well, Mulan obviously is a remake of the 1998 uh, animated film about a young girl who poses as a boy to join a Chinese army and to go off and, and fight an invasion. Um, I'll say just about the movie that it's PG-13 and it's more intense and edgy than the original. So this is not a cute and cuddly animated movie and our full review is up at pluggedin.com. So the controversy here is that um, some scenes were filmed in a region of China that it's pretty well known they have essentially concentration camps there in northwest China holding uh, members of the Uyghur people, which my understanding is that they're uh, a, an ethnically Turkish minority who obviously are Muslim, 
Um, and there may be as many as a million of them essentially in concentration camps. Not only was it filmed in this region, but there were shout outs to officials and organizations in that region thanking them for letting them film there. Uh, and so essentially the charge here is that Disney is turning a complete blind eye to the fact that China is rounding people up and putting them in concentration camps. But for the sake of making a Chinese-friendly movie, which some have also said is a pretty nationalistic movie and very sympathetic to Chinese nationalism, that's probably above my pay grade in terms of geopolitical analysis. But some people are saying that, um, that, that Disney is more concerned about money than it is about ethics or integrity or even, you know, persecution. Uh, and, and I think my response is, yeah, that is what Disney's concerned about. And it's, it's what most large national multinational organizations are concerned about. It's all about the money. Uh, and so I think it's, it's absolutely right to raise people's awareness that you know this beloved film from 1998 that that Disney has really really had to make some compromises here and increasingly the chinese movie market is hugely important so this is just one of many cases where you have american companies essentially kowtowing to chinese pressure in the way that china is depicted and or not depicted uh, so that we don't offend the second biggest movie market in the world and what may eventually be the biggest movie market in the world Disturbing. It's a really, really disturbing story. Um, okay, Candace Cameron Bure. Bure. Am I? Yep. Bure. That's, um, that's correct. Okay, for, for people who don't know her, why am I trying to learn how to say her name? <laughs> well, Candace Cameron Bure uh, is obviously Kirk Cameron's brother. She has been in Full House, oh, Fuller House. Oh, Kirk Cameron's she sister. Is, yes, yes, yes. Right. Okay. Well, thank she you. Is, that's helpful an absolute fixture on the Hallmark channel. And she was on the view <laughs> as the conservative token voice for a couple of years. And uh, she's in the news again this week because she said that she's not going back. And even if she did, she doesn't want to talk about politics uh, in the public eye. And uh, I think it's pretty interesting. I think she's probably coming to the realization that, it's a lose-lose proposition, you know, that when you talk about politics as a public performer, as an entertainer, you're basically saying, this is the tribe I am a member to, a member of, and asking people to either join you or say, no, not my tribe. And she recognizes, actually, as an entertainer, maybe it doesn't matter where I'm, well, it does matter, but it doesn't matter that I make a public stance there. And you can agree or disagree with that. Obviously, some would say entertainers should use their platform to communicate on those things. But I think I find myself wishing that more people would would imitate Candace's uh, stance here. Okay, so here's what I here's the part of the quote that caught that caught my attention. Um, and this was during a Fox News interview where she said this. Um, in being asked about returning to the view and you know like serving as the conservative voice, particularly right. obviously the view covers a lot of political topics. And she says, right. "No, I'm done with that chapter. I'm very grateful for that time in my life, but I don't want to talk about politics. I don't publicly want to talk about politics. 
not because I don't believe that my viewpoints and opinions are important, but I would much rather share Jesus with people. That's really my passion. And I don't want to get into the political debate because uh, it's just about division and separation. I want to learn. I want to be part of a conversation about how to build a bridge. I, yep. I just thought that that was, wow, um, for a person to just come right out and say, you know what? I'm not going to talk with you about XYZ political issue or concern, but I will talk with you about Jesus. Are you interested in that? I, yeah. How how might our conversations be totally transformed today, Adam, if every time a person brought up a political subject, instead, we as Christians were like, you know what? I love you, and I really don't want to have that conversation with you. Could we talk about Jesus? Yeah. Like, I, no, I, what? Like, right? I'm just thinking, like, how might today be different? How might this weekend be different if everybody listening right now, instead of having any political conversation of any kind, said, you know what? Let's not talk about politics. Let's talk about Jesus. Yeah. I, I have I no idea what might happen. Transforming influence. Absolutely. And and she's very outspoken. This is very consistent with her. I like her. She's, pro- I'm a new fan. I don't know how I'm going to be a fan because I'm probably not watching the Hallmark Channel. But <laughs> if uh, if she's out there doing something else, I'm like, I'm suddenly like a fan, right? There you go. It's so yeah. cool. Yep. All right. Um, uh, I don't know. Terrific. Do we have time for one more topic? Should we talk about one more topic or should we just let it go with that? No, let's talk. Okay. What? what um, all right. If you, um, here you go. If you could ask a question at the upcoming political debate between the two people who are vying for the office of the presidency, what's one question you would like to ask each of them? Oh, boy. You caught me flat footed on that one, Carmen. <laughs> um, oh, this is not what you guys talk about over dinner. Oh, well, no, we talk about church mostly because um, <laughs> my wife's a staff member in a church. Uh, OK, oh well, boy. then let's do that. OK, without disclosing anything that we shouldn't know, <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this. OK, what's one thing that those of us out here in the in the world, what's one thing that we should know that pastors and church staffs are dealing with right now? that we might not suspect, which would help um, us be pray, praying for them there, and supporting them. The conversation about when to restart church because of coronavirus is incredibly complex, and it has been politicized as a free speech conversation, but we have an older congregation, and so there's deep wrestling with how do we do this in a way that doesn't potentially you know, create tragic outcomes in our older population. And so I think... I have seen a lot of criticism of churches that are not yet meeting with yet as, you know, kowtowing to uh, a certain political persuasion. That really isn't it at all. There is deep anguish over how do we do this and protect our congregations most effectively. And my guess is you have pastors and church staffs all over the country, probably every single one, trying to figure out how to answer that question. And different churches are going to have different answers to it. Absolutely. And different churches are going to move at a different pace. And That's even right. when churches start meeting again, not everyone is going to, not everyone right. is going to return, certainly not immediately. Um, and when when you do return, let us say this, when you do return to church, um, recognize that there are some people who are returning who are at risk. And so let's right. be respecting 
um, social distance and let's be respecting whatever requirements your local congregation and community have related to masks and those kinds of things. Let's be respecters of one another in the midst of this um, because it really isn't all about us. That's exactly right. That is exactly all right, right. Well, prayers for um, for your wife and the congregation that she serves and the community of which you're a part. And um, thank you to Colorado for your elk hunter hospitality. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Adam okay. Holtz. You can find him at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. All right. When was the last time that you played catch? Like, you know, you grabbed the mitt and the softball or the baseball and you just went out into your front yard or your backyard or wherever and you threw a ball around. So at the end of July, might have been the very beginning of August, um, we make this like annual super fast trip to Lake Michigan to pick up what we think is a necessary supply of blueberries for the year. I know we're a little wacky. Um, And Jim packed some baseball gloves and some softballs. And so one of the things that we did, you know, when we had set up our little campsite was throw the ball around. And uh, we have then since coming home, you know, like continue to do that. Just, you know, 10 or 15 minutes in the evening, just, you know, get out there and throw the ball around. The kids like to throw Frisbees and stuff like that, but it's been kind of fun to just play catch. Well, my next guest, Ethan Bryan, Um, He was playing and writing about baseball for years, and then his teenage daughters actually challenged him to do a year-long experiment to play catch. That's right, simply play catch with someone every single day. So he's on next to talk about that. The book is A Year of Playing Catch, What a Simple Daily Experiment Taught Me About Life. The author is Ethan Bryan, and he's with me next. This is Max Licato. Satan and the Son of God stood on the southeastern wall of the temple, more than a hundred feet above the Kidron Valley, and Satan told Jesus to jump into the arms of God. Jesus refused, not because God wouldn't catch him. He refused because he didn't have anything to prove to anyone, much less the devil. Neither do you. In church, of all places, Satan will do with you what he did with Jesus. He will urge you to do tricks, to impress others with your service, to make a show of your faith, to call attention to your good deeds. Satan loves to turn church assemblies into Las Vegas presentations where people show off their abilities rather than boasting God's. Don't be suckered. You don't have anything to prove. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Ethan Bryan. We're going to talk about his brand new book, A Year of Playing Catch, What a Simple Daily Experience Taught Me About Life. I'm going to encourage you to check out his website, Ethan Bryan, Bryan's with a Y, dot com. Ethan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I am well. I am well. All right, um, let's do this. Tell us the story. Tell us about your year of playing catch. Uh, it was a ridiculously amazing year, one of the best of my life. Uh, and it wasn't planned. It just happened on, on January 1st, 2018, on a beautifully gorgeous day of one degree. 
I asked my youngest daughter to play catch with me, and she said yes. And that's literally what kicked off the, the whole year. And you didn't just play catch with your daughter every day for a year. <laughs> so so tell people what you did every day um, in 2018, you know, and some of the places that it took you um, and maybe some of the people you had the opportunity to play catch with along the way. Uh, yes. So um, so that night at dinner, I played catch with both my daughters on January 1st. And they're like, Dad, what would happen if you played catch every day for a year? And I was like, oh, I, I know exactly what would happen. Uh, I would need surgery. And and they they were very gracious and very encouraging and just kind of kind of encouraged me to give it a chance. And so um, about four or five days later, I finally just put my whole heart into the project. And we ended up traveling through 10 states, more than 12,000 miles. I connected with um, more than 500 different catch partners, uh, all ages from from two was the youngest uh, all the way up to, to multiple people who are 90 years old. And it, it was a fantastic way uh, of learning and, and meeting people I never would have met in any other uh, circumstance from, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, all the way down to the Daytona Tortugas in Florida. It was it was fantastic. All right. If you're listening right now in the Sioux Falls Nation and you are uh, and you're one of the people who who played catch with Ethan Bryan, you should text me at 877-933-2484 so that we can we can be sure we complete that particular circle. Um, um, I'm tempted to make a quick segue here to a conversation about what you have posted today at your website. Sure. Um, because it's a part of the story that you tell about yourself, but it also gives people, I think, a really important window into maybe how your theology of play, you know, <laughs> just sort of invested itself in you when you were very young. So if people go to ethanbryan.com today, they are going to see a post about Alopecia Awareness Month. First of all, mm. what is alopecia and why are you interested in our being aware of it? Alopecia is a, an autoimmune uh, autoimmune system disorder where a body uh, attacks its own hair follicles and hair falls out. So when I was six years old, all of my hair fell out. Uh, we were living in Kansas City at the time. And uh, mom and I would go and visit doctors, and they literally had no explanation for it other than they just tell us your hair is falling out. And uh, what's, what's really fascinating is that this should be something pretty traumatic for a kid. You know, it's, it's not a... a expected for a six-year-old to lose all of his hair but I had I had fantastic parents and a fantastic support system and they they showered me with love and they accepted me and they prayed with me and they prayed for me and what I remember is I asked dad I said well can I still play baseball if I don't have any hair and he said yes and from that moment on I, I was okay I was okay with losing my hair with being the the one bald kid in the school and so that that's that's my alopecia I've been I've had perfect hair days for the last four decades. Okay, so it's funny when you say that, but you're still bald, right? I like, would you say I you've had perfect bald. hair days? Right. I'm just thinking that, like, right, that's an important um, loop to close there. So it is Alopecia Awareness Month. Um, I wanted to make our listeners aware of that, and you guys can read more about that at uh, Ethan's website, Ethan Bryan. Dot com. You do tell the story in in the book, and part of um, part of this story is the story of a ball cap and all of the things that we share when we're on a little league team. 
Um, and one of the things <laughs> for those of us who played Little League, we know that you you at least share the helmets that you wear up to bat. And so if you got a bunch of little boys putting on and taking off the same batter's helmet, um, you're going to eventually have a lice problem. What? <laughs> why is that an important part of your story? Well, um, bald people don't have to worry about lice. And so uh, coach calls mom, as, as any responsible coach would, and, and said, hey, Mrs. Bryan, just wanted to let you know that uh, we found some lice and, and we, we want to nip in the bud as early as we can. And she says, well, coach, I, I knew there'd be a day. I was thankful that God made Ethan bald. <laughs> and she said she could feel him blushing through the phone. <laughs> but that's the day that you knew what? That was the day I, I knew that I was accepted as a ball player, that he had not even considered that I was bald and, 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 and reached out to us. And that was um, that was really cool. So there is this um, transforming power of play. And there is this uh, there is this sense of being accepted as a part of a group or a team um, or a body that is, you know, working together to accomplish something that we could never do if we were just doing it all by ourselves. And that's a part of what you're trying to communicate um, in this book. That's I get a sense of that. It's, it's exactly what I learned. I, it was a really a serendipitous adventure. And as I continued to go and to meet with new people, um, even just tossing a ball, whether it was 110 degrees outside or rainy or, or whatever, and this is a project. There's no way I could complete by myself. And, and the the power of community, um, the need for community is something that has really um, been driven deep in, into my heart. You literally can't play catch by yourself. That would be um, one point of, uh, of the learning that goes along with this. The book is A Year of Playing Catch. What a simple daily experience taught me about life. The author is Ethan Bryant, and he and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Ethan Bryan, you can check out his website at ethanbryan.com. He's here today to talk about his newest book, A Year of Playing Catch, What a Simple Daily Experiment Taught Me About Life. Um, all right, Ethan, what is one of the things that a year of catch taught you about life? Um, well, one of the things is it really engaged my sense of curiosity. And that's just something that play does when you when you engage your world and and, and surround yourself. I mean, really pour yourself into what uh, whatever situation you find yourself. Um, I learned, you know, I was invested in in hearing my catch partners stories and learning more about them. Uh, and so it, it just develops, it deeply develops a, a, a curious mindset and, and a, a lifelong learner attitude. And that's just a, a side effect of play. I learned, um, you know, about adaptability, <laughs> you know, whether it was the weather always changing here in Springfield or a, a catch partner had to cancel. Um, I, playing catch taught me to be adaptable and, and flexible and creative in order to overcome the obstacles that were standing in the way of this uh, self-imposed goofy goal. Um, one, of, one of the most important things, though, uh, tenacity, perseverance, uh, you know, just, just that never give up, that it, that it takes uh, courage and grit to try and do something new. And it, I, there was, in, until I completed it, 
there, there was no guarantee that I was going to succeed or, or if I would fail. And, and so it takes um, perseverance to do anything worth doing. And just because it, it's hard doesn't mean you necessarily have to give up. So it kind of starts as a bit of a crazy idea and then it becomes <laughs> a, a commitment and then you have to actually like put feet to it. So I'm just wondering, like when you say sometimes a catch partner had to cancel. So this wasn't like spontaneous. You just wandered around in the world and looked for somebody to throw a ball with. There was some sort of process that people what signed up. Well, that was what I hoped, but usually it was uh, me on my computer at night while I was watching the Royals games, and my wife is on her laptop next to me working on, on her school. Uh, she's a teacher working working on school stuff, and I would reach out on Twitter and on Facebook and send emails just saying, hey, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing. Would you be up for, for a game of catch? And I never did really keep track of rejections, but I was rejected all the time. People said, no, one of my best... <laughs> I had one guy responded says, I, I love helping school kids with their projects. Uh, what grade are you in? Mm. And, <laughs> and that was just such a blow to my ego. I never replied to mm. him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but there were those that said yes. And this, this book is a, uh, a thank you to everyone who said yes, who took a risk to say, hey, I'll, I'll meet you. You, you got a glove I can borrow or who was willing to take time out of their day to connect with me and share a little bit of their story. All right. So some things we might learn um, on the other side would be um, don't limit your play. Don't don't imagine that play is just, just limited to kids. Um, don't imagine you have to have all the equipment. Sometimes the other person will, will share what they have and enable you to play. Um, be the person who, like, helps make the other person's dream come true. Right. The only way that you could succeed was if a bunch of other people who you did not know said yes. And so maybe we could all learn a lesson from that. Maybe there's a person who I'm going to intersect with today who has a dream and all I have to do to help them, you know, make it through from today to tomorrow in terms of the pursuit of their dream is do the one thing that I can do, which, you know, is to stand there and give them uh, enough of my time that they that they can check today off the, you know, right off the calendar in terms of accomplishing the goal. So there's some learning here for each and every one of us. Um, I guess I'm, um, I want to ask you this is, um, is, I think we think of playing catch and the person who asked you what grade you were in is illustrative of this. (laughs) We, we imagine that these kinds of dreams or these kinds of activities are just for kids, but I'm willing to bet that those 90 something year old people had a really good time. Oh, it's it's the um, George Bernard Shaw quote. We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Um, and one of the most important things I learned throughout the year is that play is an important part of what it means to be human. Uh, when when we stop playing, we lose part of the of the divine image in which God created us. I am I am fully convinced of that. All right, and then I have one more question. Um, did you meet anyone along the way who wanted to play catch but didn't know how to throw or catch? And if so, can you teach us the mechanics of playing catch? Absolutely. I, I played catch with several rookies, and we just started out close. I, I'd show, One of my favorite ones is I, I, I gave them a glove, and they put the ball in the glove and tried to throw with the glove. And I said, you know what? Major league players can do that. Uh, we're not quite there yet. We'll, we'll start off slow. 
and you know you start off underhand and and as, as you get more and more comfortable you just get a little bit further and further apart uh, and by the end of our time together they were pros they were great that's so great that's so great um okay so um what is what's the dream you're pursuing now What's that? I'm still playing baseball. Uh, I love the, that. the the year of playing catch gave me enough courage to try out for a, oh. a local professional uh, men's baseball league. And I'm, my next game is on is on Sunday. We we won our first game last Friday night. I, I uh, singled. I scored the, the go ahead run. Um, one of the oldest players in the league. Asira. Out of 80 some odd guys, I'm the fifth oldest. <laughs> so but um, that's so I'm out, awesome. <laughs> I'm out playing ball and, and and still making new friends and uh, doing everything I can to uh, to stay young. All right. So I know you're inspired by Ethan. Check out his website, ethanbryan.com. If you are in. With, so do you only play in Springfield? Is that sort of the yeah. the location? All right. So um, if you're passing through Springfield, Missouri, or you're listening to us uh, in the Springfield area, online at MyFaithRadio.com or on the Faith Radio app. Um, the team you're rooting for is? The Ozark Mountain Ducks. Oh, my goodness. The Ozark <laughs> Mountain Ducks. Yeah, I'm Googling now. All right, Ethan Bryan, um, thank you so much. The book, everyone, the book is A Year of Playing Catch. What a Simple Daily Experience Experiment Taught Me About Life. Ethan, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a great weekend. We'll be right back. To cry all the tears and replay all the memories, good and bad from the years. All right, I'm hoping that uh, Ethan's story provokes you to think a little bit about play this weekend. Virginia texted in and says that her brother still plays ball at age 80. Virginia, we might need to know more about that. You might need. Like, does he actually play play on a team that we could somehow watch? I feel like this is a redemptive use of Facebook. I feel like Virginia should be using her Facebook platform to do Facebook Live videos of her brother's octogenarian baseball team. I feel like that is something worthy of watching, um, worthy use use of social media um, uh, today. All right. um, Let me just give a shout out to uh, all of those coaches and players who made it possible when I was a kid for me to uh, play softball and for my family who sacrificed a lot of time um, in order for me to continue to play in what became the off season for many other people. And it became kind of a year round sport for me. Um, So let me just, you know, give a little shout out here to coach Pete and, um, and others for the Tampa Bay Herons which was my first Little League team for those awful bright yellow uniforms. And um, and then to the Bombers that I was uh, a participant on. And so anyway, just spend some time today thinking about the ways in which you played when you were younger and how how you might still have a desire to play today. Invite somebody out to play catch. All right, let's see. Uh, we got a listener in Duluth chiming in to say, Hey, Carmen, there's a gentleman here in Duluth who just passed away at age 99, and he was still playing hockey. 
All right, Ron Melzer, that is a challenge to you today. I know that you're, uh, you've are you been invited to join a volleyball team, and you're 87, and you're trying to use that as an excuse. So let me just say, hey, hey, there's people out there doing some stuff. They're playing. Let's get out there and play this weekend. Play catch with somebody. Go play disc golf. Do something. Go play putt-putt. You can't, maybe you can't uh, swing, a, swing a long iron anymore, but, you know, that putter. Get out there. Have some fun. Take a kid with you. All right, be a kid. Have a great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.